0: We're turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15. We're continuing, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel. We're seeing the time of the kings, and of course, the emphasis is on David. David is the second king of Israel and one of the great kings, a man after God's own heart. And we're looking at this section. It's really a time of sadness because when you think about King David, he's just amazing. But there were some th- some things that happened. If you remember, the book is divided basically into two sections. The first ten chapters, David in triumph. Everything's going well. He's just he's become the king. He's uh, defeated enemies. Everything great. And then it started in chapter eleven to the end of the book. We call it David in trouble. That's where he has sin with Bathsheba. And then after that, there's all kind of things. A baby dies. And then there's all kind of trouble in the family. And and uh, and we realize this. God had told him through the prophet Nathan that there would be uh, consequences from sin. And so this morning, the focus is on, in this little section, the rebellion of Absalom, the son of David. I'll give you background in just a minute who he is, just in case you hadn't been here or we just forgotten how it fits together. Absalom tries to take the throne. He is David's son, and he tries to take the throne away from David. All of this ties back into a bro- broken relationship with David and Absalom. Absalom killed his brother and ran off, and then David finally, they finally came back, and it looks like they got together. In fact, if we look last week, at the very end, it says, Joab came to the king and told him, and he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king. Absalom comes to the king, prostrated prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Well, right then, it looks like, this is great. Everything's good. They're back together. Everything's fine, but it's not. Absalom has a plan to steal away the kingdom from David. As we look at this passage, there's several things I want you to think about. One is honesty. Absalom was not honest. We're going to look at the character of Absalom, and as you look at it, you're not going to like it at all. He's not a man after God's own heart like David is. We're going to see loyalty, David's men and their loyalty to David, and we're going to see that there were some people loyal to David, and then there were some, I mean, there were many that were loyal to David, and there were some that weren't. And then finally, it's worship, we're going to bring this up because it talked about Absalom was going to worship God, and we can raise the question is, did Absalom actually worship? What was he doing? What was going on? let we begin. I want to say this. One of the, Probably one of the most negative comments that someone could make about somebody else is that they're two-faced. When you say they're two-faced, what does that mean? That means that one person says one thing and then does another, or they'll say one thing to you and they'll say something, a uh, different thing to, to somebody else. They're not honest, they're not real, they can't be trusted. As we look at the passage this morning, in the life of Absalom, I think we're gonna see he's a two-faced person, because on one thing, he, he's come to David, he's been down before David, they kiss. looked like they got along, everything's gonna be fine. And on the other part, all he's doing is division and discontent, and he's going to take the the uh, kingdom away. And so when we look at this, we could even raise a question about ourselves. Are we two-faced or are we trustworthy? Are we disloyal or are we loyal? And we'll talk more about it. When we learn from this section, Absalom is pretending to be right, pretending to be good with David. But all the time, he's going to try to take over the kingdom. I think it's really powerful. We're going to see the contrast between dishonesty and deception and revenge and loyalty and honesty and those kind of things. So there's a lot there. Let me give you the outline just quickly. Verses 1 through 12, Absalom's rebellion. And then we see David's response. We're only going to verse 18 today. I just put the whole little section up there because we're going to see more of what happened next week. We'll see what happens, David's response, and what happens in this whole issue. And uh, as we begin, we just think about it. David has sinned. He has committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. God came through him through the prophet Nathan. And basically, David confessed his sin. God said, you won't die. But he did say there were going to be consequences. We know, be not deceived. God has not mocked whatever man sows. That shall he also reap. That's Galatians 6, 7. So there are consequences. God told David there'd be evil from his own household. And we see that beginning, of course, this morning, it just gets worse and worse. Absalom seeks to become the king to take over and to kill David. Now, David is, is faced with how is he going to respond? Will he, will he, what is he going to do about this rebellion of Absalom? David continues to grow and trust God. And, and, and when we think about David, we say, gosh, David, uh, when you think of him, usually you either think of two things, either David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. David was a great man and, and David, David blew it, and every one of us in this room blew it, or had blown it, and, and the truth is David is going to be used by God in a mighty way. Even in the future, he's going to be used by God even here, but there are consequences. There are all kind of different things. What does David do in all of this? He rests in the Lord. He trusts God in the situation. We're going to actually go before it's over. We're going to go to Psalm 3 real quickly, and to see what David wrote when he was running from Absalom, we're going to see that David doesn't seek vengeance Even at the very end, he doesn't seek vengeance and he shows forgiveness. So we'll remember all that. Let me remind you what's happened. Two of David's sons had a conflict. There was an oldest son named Amnon. He was supposed to be, everybody would think he'd be the next king. There was a second son, and he died. Apparently he died, he's not even listed anymore. He's listed, but he's not there. The third son down is Absalom. That's the one we're talking about today. He would want to be king amnon the oldest one raped absalom's sister tamar and so absalom said one of these days i'm going to get you and it took a while it took two years and he killed amnon and ran off and he was off for a long time and after a period of time he comes back and when he comes back david brings him back when he comes back everything looks like it's going to be good but when david brings him back david makes a mistake. David says, he can come back and live in Jerusalem, but he can't ever see me, can't see my face. Well, Absalom comes back, and they say, well, you can come back, but you can't go see your father. And that went on for a while, and then finally, uh, it all broke down, and David finally said, okay, he can come back and be with me. And they came back, and that's how we ended the last chapter, where David kisses him, and they all look like they've made up. And, and, And if we stopped right there, we'd say, you know, it ended pretty good, but... We're going to find out from this time on, Absalom has a plan to take the kingdom from David and to steal the hearts of the people. Now, I want you to think about this. On one side, it looks good. Absalom's back. David's hugged him, kissed him. They're all fine. And now, what Absalom deep down is saying, He thinks everything's fine, nothing's fine. He can't treat me this way. He can't make me run off and then come back and not see his face, and he can finally let me back. Well, if he thinks he's right, he's wrong, I'm going to one day take this kingdom and kill him, and I'm going to be the king because Amnon is dead. We don't know what happened to the second son. Here's the third son, Absalom. He thinks, I'm supposed to be king anyway. I'm going to get rid of David, and I'm going to be the king. Now we're going to see what happens. So Absalom has this plan. now let me let me remind you what Absalom is like. This is chapter fourteen verse twenty five In all Israel, no one was as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. Now this guy is handsome. Everything. Yeah, the hair. I mean, it says when he cut his hair, it weighed five pounds. I mean, he's just that guy. And, and when people would see him, they'd go, Wow, who is that? That's Absalom. That's the king's son. Wow. And so he, he, he is one of those people that I imagine every one of us would be drawn to him and say, Wow, he's, he's great. Wow, he's something. So Absalom may look good on the outside, but he's not good on the inside. He is an evil person and he does some wrong things. And so, uh, and he has no character. And so let's, let's look at it this way. We're going to see Absalom's rebellion and we're going to see stealing the hearts of the people and taking the kingdom. That's what we're going to see. So let's start with stealing the hearts of of the people. And here's what he's going to do, and I'm going to show you how he's going to do it. We'll see it as we go through the passage. He does four things. He elevates himself, makes himself look important. He's critical of David. He's going to talk about David behind his back and tell how David's not doing right. He's going to make promises to the people, and he's going to use flattery. He's going to build the people up. And this is his plan to divide the kingdom. Listen, you've got to understand something. When 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 people begin to, to cause conflict, when they go in and they divide, when they lie, they're critical, they elevate themselves, they do those kind of things, they destroy things. We saw in our grow group, we've been studying the life of Paul. Paul called the elders of the church of Ephesus together, and here's what he said. He said, I'm warning you about two different things. One, false teachers who come into the church and divisive people who are in the church that divide the church. And what we're seeing here is David's son dividing the people, dividing the kingdom, hurting David, talking bad about David and trying to get the people on his side. That's what we're going to see. So the first thing that he does is he elevates himself, let me read you verse one. it says now about it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men in as runners before him. So uh, by, by the way, let me let me just remind you of something that Absalom uh, is a patient, deceitful man. Let me show you what I mean. It took him 2 years to get Amnon back. He to get him back. He waited 2 years to kill Amnon after what happened with his sister. He is now it's going to be by the time all this happens it's going to be at least 5 years. And so Absalom is just waiting. So the first thing he does is he elevates himself. He got a chariot and 50 men to run before him. Now, can you picture this? Here's this guy. He's got 50 men, and they go running before him, and then he's coming back with a chariot with a bunch of horses and all this stuff. And people, are, they're all running and shouting, here comes Absalom, here comes Absalom. And he comes by, and people go, wow, wow. Who is that? That's the king's son. Wow, he must be important. Look, all the men shout out, and they go, there's, there's Absalom. And I, I mean, it lo- he's just looking like, wow, I am very important. I am very important. I got a chariot of 50 men run before him. Uh, In in 1984, I got to go to the Olympics. In fact, a person took me to the Olympics in in Los Angeles. And while we were there, we actually went to this restaurant. And while we were in a restaurant, Sylvester Stallone came in, the restaurant. Uh, There's a lot of movie stars around there and all that part of, you know. And so we were there, and all of a sudden he came in. But I want you to know he came in with eight men. He had eight bodyguards, and as he walked in, he had two here, two here, two here, two here. I mean, he walked in, and, and everybody stopped, and everybody looked over at Sylvester Stallone. You know, he's coming in. He said, oh, I'll be back. Anyway, he said all kinds of things. But anyway, the bottom line is here he comes in, you know, and, he, and everybody looks, and they go, wow, he's important, isn't he? And this is what Absalom was doing. He has all these horses coming through and all these people and all these 50 men running before him and shouting, ah, yeah, here comes the man, here comes Absalom. So everybody goes, who is that? He is the king's son. He's very important. Second thing that he did, he was critical of David. Absalom said he would help people. Look at verse 2. It says, Absalom used to rise early and stand by the, the way to the gate. And any man that had a suit to come for the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you? And he would say, well, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Now, he's critical of David. What he would do is he would be waiting out. By the way, in a city like Jerusalem, there's the main gates. There are, Jerusalem is a big city. It's got a lot of different gates, but there's still a main gate. It used to be called the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate or the Western Gate, you know, Eastern Gate. And so people would come in that way. He's at the gate. And as people came in, at the gate of the city is where if you had a legal problem, you would go to the gate and you would inform people, I need to see the king or I need to do this. Well, he's waiting there. And as people come up, he'd say, where are you from? What's your problem? And they would tell him the problem, and he would say, ah, oh, uh, your problem is, uh, you're right. You need help. But see, the king, he's not helping anybody right now. In fact, it's just and right and everything, but, but the king doesn't listen. No man gets listened to. So he's telling them, you got a good idea here, and you're really right, but King David, he's, he's too busy. He doesn't have time to help you. You know, if, if I were only king... I would help you. I would help you. I could help you. In fact, he goes on to say, Absalom would say to him, your claims are good and right. No man listens to the king. More, Absalom would say, oh, that one would appoint me as the judge in the land. Then everybody who had a suit or a cause would come to me, and I would give them justice. He said, nobody listens to you right now. And then he makes these promises. And the promise is if I were appointed as king. And so you can see what he's doing. The people are coming up and they got problems, and he says, David's too busy to listen to your problems. Now, if I, if I were the king, I, I would listen to your problems. I would get this solved for you. I would help you, and the people go, wow, he would really help us. In fact, he said, maybe you ought to be king. Oh Yeah, maybe so. I, I, you know, my, my father's just too busy to help you, and so he's made these promises that he would be the one to help them. If I was appointed the King and so what is he doing he 's building himself up and he's tearing David down and he's making promises and listen it doesn't take very many people to cause division I read a study that said it with between four to six people in a local church that 's all it takes to divide a church four to six people four to six people get together and begin to cause dissension and problems it divides the church again same thing in an office in a in a in a business in any kind of organization it doesn't take very many people to cause division and cause problems. And so here is Absalom out there, and he's basically saying, uh, David's too busy to listen to you, but if I were the king, I would listen to you. And he's dividing the people. And then the fourth thing that he does, there's flattery. There's flattery. Look, it goes on to say, and when a man, this is verse five, and when a man, uh, but let me go back to four again, more of Absalom say, oh, that I would appoint, if Oh, would one would appoint me as judge in the land, then every man who had a suit or a cause would come to me, and I would give him justice. See, I would do it. And when a man would come near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Now, he's famous, and so as people come up, they're going to bow down to, to uh, Absalom. But he says, oh, no, don't, don't bow down to me. And he kisses their hand. And he says, oh, he's flattered them. Oh, you, you're so, you've got such problems that need to be fixed. If I only were the king, if I only were the judge... I could care. David doesn't care. And look at verse 6. In this manner, he stole the hearts of the people. Chapter 15, verse 6. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel, who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. And what that means is the people begin to follow and say, you know, I think maybe Absalom would be a better king than David. David doesn't have any time. And David's, you know, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of talk about what happened to David in the past. And, and Absalom, you know, Absalom is, he's handsome. He's smart. Uh, and maybe he should be the king. And he stole the hearts of of the people, And the people are beginning to follow Absalom instead of David. And he's brought discontent and distrust. It doesn't take very many people to do that. All you have to do is talk behind somebody's back. All you have to do is say, well, you know, they don't really do that right. If I, if I was in charge of that, I'd, I'd fix that. I'd make sure that was right. That's what you do. The people begin to follow. He used deceit and flattery to win the people. And the truth is people will often go to the one who promises the most. Warren Wearsby said, "People will always follow anyone who will tell them what they want to hear and promise to give them what they want. And they think they want justice, and Absalom's the man to do it. David's not the man. Maybe we better do something. Absalom's not a man of integrity. It's not a man of character." Psalm 78:72 talks about David. It says, he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with his skillful hands. David was a man of integrity and skill. Now, we could say what we could. David messed up. We all mess up. David blew it. But let me tell you, one day when Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's going to be king of the world in Jerusalem. But you know who's going to oversee Jerusalem? King David will oversee Jerusalem. God takes people and uses us even even if we fail. We all fail. He'll use every one of us. As long as you're alive, he'll use you for his honor and glory. David was a man of integrity and skill. Let me tell you, Absalom is not. David was a hero who served the people, and Absalom was a celebrity who used the people. And there's a big difference. We just saw a bunch of pictures of people who are heroes. And then there are people that are out there making a lot of noise, and they're just celebrities, and they have no character whatsoever. And their goal is to use people. David's goal was to serve the people. Well, what's going to happen? He's been ta- all this time planning this, and now he's going to take the kingdom. So watch what he does. Look at verse 7. It came about the end of, in my Bible, it has 40 years, and then if you put down to the bottom, it says 4. And so there are different manuscripts. Most of them, they either read 40 years or four years. And so if it's, it says at the end of 40 years, that Absalom said to the king, that's probably meaning if it's 40, they're meaning that Absalom was about 40 years old. If it's four, it's probably meaning that it was four years after all these things happened, and some, and, and and sometimes in some of the manuscripts, some of the old ones, you know, we have a lot of manuscripts. Sometimes they vary a little bit. This is one that varies just a little. And and by the way, in Hebrew, the difference between four and forty is just a little mark, and so we, we just don't know what it is. But if you said it, if if you say forty years, it's saying that Absalom was about forty years old. If you say it was four years, it means four years since all this has been going on. At the end of this time, Absalom said to the king, I think Absalom comes to David and says, please let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. He comes and and here's what I want you to see. We're going to see four things, four steps that Absalom did to take the kingdom. The first one is he went to David and made a request that he could go to Hebron and pay a vow. Now, notice what he says again. It's about the end of the four four years or 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. Okay, now, remember, Hebron was the former capital. Hebron was the place that David had been anointed as king. He's going to go to the same place that David is anointed as king, and he's going to be anointed as king. Now, he gives the details. He says, for your servant vowed a vow while I was living in Gersher in Aram, saying, if the Lord shall indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. Do you see what he just said? He said, when I was running from, you know, and living in with my grandfather, I made this vow to God that if I ever come back, I want to serve God. Is he wanting to serve God right now? Of course he's not wanting to serve God. He's wanting to serve himself. He wants to be the king. He's a hypocrite. He's not serving God. He's making up a story. He's actually saying he wants to go offer a sacrifice to God at Hebron and to fulfill the vow. And he's lying the whole time. And David, look what David does in verse 9. David said to him, "We'll go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Now, let me raise the question. Should David have thought a little bit more about why he's asking this? Let me show you what I mean. First of all, David could say, why did it take you so long to fulfill this vow? It's been at least five or six years. So David could have said, no, wait a minute, why now? Why are you now want to go to Hebron? And then second is, why would you go to Hebron? Because what? The tabernacle is here. Why? Why? Well, but David doesn't ask those questions as best we could tell. He just says, go. That's step one. I'm going to Hebron to worship God. He's not. He's going to Hebron to become king. Second thing that he does, he sends out spies. Look at verse 10. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So he says, he sent out spies. He sent people out all over all the different tribes, all the different places, And all these spies out, and they went and told him, look, David's no longer going to be king. Absalom's going to be the king. There's going to be a trumpet sound. When the trumpet sounds, everybody starts shouting, Absalom is the king. Absalom is the king. That's what we're going to do. We're going to spread it, and everybody will start hearing it, and they'll go, wow, so Absalom must be the king. So the blowing of the trumpet announced that he'll be the king. Here's step three. He brought people with him. Look at the, verse 11. Then 200 men went with Absalom from Jerusalem who were invited, and they went innocently. They didn't know anything. He just invites people to go with him up to Hebron for this special event, and they don't know why they're going. They're not for him. They're not going to make him king. They don't even know why they're going. They just think it's going to be a party. And he's lying to them. He said, let's just go up there. And it looks like all these people have come to make him king of Israel. He's not through yet. He's got one more thing to do, and that he's going to bring an advisor. Look at the next verse. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Galanite, David's counselor from the city of Galam, while he was offering the sacrifice. So we're going to come back to that. And the conspiracy was strong for the people to increase continuity with Absalom. Now, wait a minute. Who Who is this advisor, Ahithophel? Let me, let me, before I even put the next slide up, Ahithophel was what's considered an advisor to the king. He was considered very wise. In fact, in some places it said that Ahithophel, when he spoke, some said, gosh, that, that's like God speaking. He's so smart. He's so wise. He was David's counselor. And sometimes David would say, Ahithophel, what do you think we should do? And Ahithophel would give his information. Suddenly, Ahithophel is going to be with Absalom. And you could say, wait a minute. Why, why would David's close closest advisor, leave and go be with Absalom. You know what? He's the grandfather of Bathsheba. You know what? He may have been an advisor to David, but he didn't care about David because he knew what David did to his granddaughter. He knew that David had taken his granddaughter. He knew that David had killed his granddaughter's husband, and he said, this is my chance to get back at David for what he did to Bathsheba, my granddaughter. And he switches sides and goes to Absalom. The conspiracy has increased at the very end. It says, the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. Wow. So this is, this is, this is wild. Now, I wanted to come back to this one thing. It said that uh, he went and got... Uh, Absalom went and got a hit the fail while he was offering sacrifices. Is he really worshiping God? What's he doing? What is worship, by the way? Let's, let's stop and talk about it real quickly. W- worship is responding to God. You know, some people, they get a little confused, and they think the worship is the music. Like, people will say, JB, the, the, oh, the praise team, oh, the worship was great, and your teaching was okay. But, you know, it, it's something like that. But the bottom line is, people think that music is worship and teaching is something else. Look, everything. We're, worship is responding to God. And we respond to God as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study the Bible. So as you're singing the songs, who are you singing them to? To Jesus. As you're praying, who are you praying to? As you're praying to God. As you're giving, who are you giving to? To God. As you're obeying the Bible, as you look at the Scripture and say, I want to live this out of my life. So all worship is responding to God. And it says that he's up there offering sacrifices. he he going to worship? He has it. He has it. May we worship in spirit and in truth, as John says. God's looking for worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. Spirit is God's power. It's spiritual. It's not natural. It's supernatural. When we come together, we're to be in the fellowship and we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we worship in truth based on God's word, the revelation. Listen, when we worship, it's in spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and in truth, the word of God. It has to be the Bible. When I was in Dallas, going to Dallas Seminary, I went to, uh, had to go, that one of the classes, I had to go to certain churches just to check them out. And I went to a church, a big church, downtown Dallas, a big church. Not one person had a Bible. Not one person had a Bible. I had a Bible because I, I, mean, I didn't know. So I got out of my car and I was walking. I had a Bible. I noticed around nobody had a Bible. I went to the service. They never opened the Bible. They never talked about the Bible. They may be worshiping in spirit, but they're not worshiping in truth because there's no truth there. There's no Bible. So when we talk about worship, the power of the spirit and the word of God, it all goes together. So what's going to happen? So look, verse 13, we'll go quickly. Look at verse 13. A messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. He says, look, everybody's gone over to Absalom's side. David said to his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise, let's flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. David said, we got to get out of here as fast as possible. And, it says, and the king's servant said to the king, behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. Let me ask you, you think David's afraid? David ain't afraid of anything. He'd never been afraid of anybody. From the time he was 15 years old, he wasn't afraid of Goliath. He's not afraid of Absalom. He just doesn't want the city ransacked. He didn't want people killed in the city. He doesn't want to fight in city of Jerusalem. He actually says this idea, bring calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. He says, I'd rather get out of here than something happen to this city. And you can see the loyalty of the people there. They said, behold your servant, we're ready to do whatever you want to do. Now let me go quickly and I don't want you to have to turn there, so I just want to, I'll read it to you, but this is Psalm 3. This is a psalm that was written when David was running, okay? And listen to this. This is how it says, this is a morning prayer. Then it says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Then verse 1. Now, by the way, in Hebrew manuscripts, this little thing that says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son, sometimes that's the first verse of the psalm. In our English Bibles, we don't do it that way. We just put that thing up there and then we start verse one, something else. So this is the psalm that David wrote when he's running from his enemy, from Absalom. Notice what he says. Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are uprising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's going to be no deliverance for God, for him and God. But you, oh Lord, you're a shield about me. He says, you, you are my trust. Look what he says. You are a shield about me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord, my voice. He answered me from the holy mountain. I lay down and slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me around about me. David's not afraid. And he ends this this way. O oh Lord God, save me. Oh, my God. You have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered their teeth. By the way, that's past tense. He's saying, you've done it. It's as good as done. You will defeat my enemy. And then he goes on to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be upon your people. Now he says, salvation and most people, when they see the word salvation, they immediately think eternal life salvation. Most of, the, most of the references in the Old Testament with the word salvation are most likely physical deliverance, and that's what he's talking about here. So he writes this psalm and says, I'm trusting you, God, in the midst of all of this, and you will save me. That's what he's really saying. And that's what happened. So, let me, so let, let's, let, let's look what happened. So David runs out. His servants are with him. They're all loyal to him. Look at verse 16. So the king went out and all the household with him, but the king left 10 concubines to keep the house. Now, he left 10 women there to take care of the palace as he runs out of there. And why would he leave these women? By the way, a concubine is sort of a, sort of a wife-slave Not exactly a full wife like some of the others, but these were wives as well, but they were also kind of slaves and they were called concubines. And many kings had many concubines and many wives. We're not saying it's right. We're saying what they did. And so David leaves 10 of these women. Now, why would he do that? Well, it shows David thinks he's probably coming back, but what David doesn't realize, this is going to fulfill prophecy. It's going to fulfill prophecy. Let me, let, we'll, we'll see it in just a minute. Look what happened. Verse 17, the king went out and all the people with him. They stopped at the last house. His servants passed by, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, all the Githites, 600 people. They all came with him. They're loyal to David. Let me put this up. If you can't be loyal to your leader or your boss, quit. Go somewhere else. Loyalty is a key character. When you decide that you're going to be with somebody, going to work with somebody, going to help somebody, be loyal. Don't get behind them. Don't cut them down. Don't talk behind their backs. Don't try to divide the thing. This is what Absalom has done. These people are not. They're, they're with David. Let me show you the prophecy. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. This is what the Lord says. Behold, I'm going to raise up evil against you from your own household. That's what we're seeing. I will even take your wives before your eyes. Give them to your companion. He will sleep with your wives in broad Daylight. We hadn't seen it yet, but it's going to happen. Prophecy will be fulfilled. Evil from the household. So, what have we seen? Absalom stole the people's hearts. He looked good. He criticized David. He made promises. He flattered the people. He took the kingdom. He went to pray and vowed. He brought spies. He brought people up there who didn't even know what was going on. He got Hithophel, the advisor, and they blew the trumpet and said, We're the king. And David had to flee. David did not flee because he was afraid. David is a great warrior. He fled because he didn't want the city destroyed. And he, as we're going to see next week, David, somebody's going to say, you think you'll ever get to go back? And he says, if the Lord wills, I'll go back. If he doesn't, I won't. I'm trusting God. Let me give you some applications quickly. Let's be people of character and integrity. Now, the bottom line is for us to be like Christ. This is not what Absalom is like. This is what David is like. We need to be honest. We need to tell the truth. We need to deal honestly with people. Absalom tricked people and stole their hearts. Don't tear down others to make ourselves look good. We know what that is. You, you have to say, oh yeah, well, he's, no, he's not that good. No, no. There's a lot of things about that person you don't even know. You're tearing down somebody to make yourself look good. Don't do that. Let others praise us and not ourselves. We already know that. And let's be loyal. Let's be loyal, faithful to fulfill our responsibilities. I hit the is not loyal. There are going to be some others that are, and we'll see it. Let's worship God. Let's understand what worship is. It's responding to God, and let's worship God in all the areas as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study the word of God. All of that is acts of worship to God. And then finally, let's trust God in the trials of life. I mean, there's so many things going on. David is running for his life, and you could say, David, what? what is God doing? What is going on? He'd say, I just have to trust him. I don't know what's happening. I just know there's rebellion, but I'm trusting God. And if the Lord wills, I'll go back. And if not, I won't. I have to trust him. In the events of life, we must trust God.